Good day, all. Whether by accident or on purpose, you have found Lords of Order just in time to listen to episode 84. The Lords of Order podcast is a Dr. Fate fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore, and be aware there are spoilers. Feedback can be left on the site, bigtimenoise.com slash Fate. Email to the Dr. Fate fan podcast at gmail.com. Comments can be left on the Facebook and Google Plus pages for Lords of Order. And on Twitter, you can tweet Teal Productions to get your point across. Now, the main topic is the story for Dr. Fate that appeared in More Fun Comics issue 83, cover dated September 1942. This was scripted by Gardner Fox, penciled, inked, and lettered by Howard Sherman, and entitled The Two Fates. Now, those that are so inclined can find this reprinted in the Golden Age Dr. Fate Archives Volume 1, as produced by DC Comics in 2007. Now, opening our story, our narrator tells us, Life or death, disaster or success, these are the questions posed to an awed underworld by two self-appointed masters of gangland destiny. For you'll read how these spider-like, super-cunning fiends take an ancient fantasy and weave from it the threads of real-life drama. And you'll thrill as Dr. Fate strives with all his skill, all his strength, to unravel and break through the tangled web of anguish, mystery, and murder, spun by that direful duo who have styled themselves The Two Fates, which also is the title of the story. So we have a couple uh, ne'er-do-wells here. Uh, Actually, uh, interestingly enough, right off the beginning of the story here, We're told, um, once again, in in my narrator voice, jagged lightning rips across the sky. Heavy rain pelts down, beats upon a weary gypsy caravan as it halts at the outskirts of the big city. Now, the big city, uh, I'm not sure, could be New York, okay? He's in Salem, Massachusetts. uh, His tower is, anyways. Uh, He's based there, I should say. So, um, what strikes me as interesting is that in 1942, there were wheeled gypsy caravans moving about the country, because we can see here in the background a modern, uh, for the 40s, a modern cityscape, with this wagon and a couple other wagons pulled up here um, adjacent to the one that we're following. I thought that was kind of interesting. I didn't think that was still going on in 1942, particularly not here in the U.S., but... I wasn't around then, uh, much as some of you may believe otherwise. So I'm, I'm not sure, but that struck me as odd. So inside this particular wagon, we have a couple guys here. Uh, Yagor, J-A-G-O-R, Yagor or Jagger, I, I'm not sure, and Mario. And so they're running thin uh, on funds. Nobody's coming in to have their fortune told. So Yagor comes up with a different plan. He says, you remember that one thing we ran with the three fates and everybody was was all gaga over it? It it was really good. And Mario says, yeah, but there's only two of us. And he says, ah, details. There can be two fates. Well, give me some time. I'll I'll come up with something really cool for us. So what they proceed to do is Mario apparently is the Weaver, the loom operator. Uh, they have a small loom, apparently. Now, 
a lot of this is conjecture on my part because we don't necessarily see it directly. Uh, a small loom in their wagon because he is weaving, Mario is, tapestries. And he is weeping, t- weeping, excuse me, weaving tapetri- tapestry. Okay, let's try this again. He is weaving tapestries of a nature that reflect positive or negative things that will happen to an individual. Uh, the individuals that they're focusing on are gangland leaders. They propose to sell the tapestry of a positive nature to the leader, saying that in having and possessing the tapestry, that ensures that what is depicted on the tapestry will come true. Now, if they don't buy the tapestry, they come back and they show them a negative effect tapestry and say, then this will be your fate. Uh, Once, because the uh, first person that they went to felt it was a scam, didn't buy it, they came back, showed him the tapestry, the, the bad tapestry, and sure enough, he died that way, presumably by the two men. Uh, now, that's not illustrated expressly for us, but that, that would be about the only way that it could they could ensure that it would happen is if they did it themselves. So then word starts getting out amongst the other leaders, and the two fates start selling their tapestries. Uh, the first one, they wanted 5000 for it. So we see uh, three other guys that are approached, potentially four, in the course of the story. That's not bad, depending on how quickly they were able to do them. $5,000 in the early 40s, that's a lot of money. Well, in the midst of this, uh, we see Kent Nelson, who the narrator tells us, But meanwhile, high in the mountains, within the towering walls of ancient Castle Destiny, in quotes, Kent Nelson sits in his study. Now, a couple things. Uh, Castle Destiny, uh, first time we've ever heard that. You know, it's the Tower of Fate, I, I thought, for, for most descriptions. But also, Kent is in here. Now, it's not typical that we find Kent in the Tower. Uh, it's almost always Dr. Fate in the Tower. But I guess it makes sense, because Kent Nelson doesn't like live somewhere else and then come to the Tower just to be Fate. So... Um, unfortunately, Kent lives in this giant stone masonry edifice with no openings in it. So he lives completely cut off from the world, uh, no sunlight, no fresh air, you know, unless he goes out. Kind of a weird way to live as a human. But as Dr. Fate, he is using his scrying ball and sees what the two fates are up to. Well, in their latest scheme, they are attempting to waylay a as part of their latest scheme. They have shown a tapestry to a gangland leader of what is going to occur next as kind of a direction to help them uh, commit crimes. So what is up next is a truck is on the way to Fort Knox carrying gold, and they're going to waylay and steal the gold. Both the fates, this particular gangland leader, um, which I don't know that they ever give us his name, and some of his men. So sure enough, it goes off. They capture the truck. But while they're doing that, Inza approaches, becomes embroiled in the scene, and they take Inza captive as well. Gather everything together, and they head off. 
in the truck that the Fort Knox soldiers were transporting the gold. So they don't move the gold, which is – if you ever saw it in a TV show or a movie or whatever, they'd move the gold into another truck. That's nah, too heavy. They, they didn't do it here. But Dr. Fate comes up on the scene. Uh, having seen what they were doing in his scrying crystal, going to the appropriate location, he rescues Inza – Defeats the men with uh, with many many quips, bouncing bullets off, uh, throwing men around by the feet like a human bowling ball kind of thing. Finally, as a last ditch effort, the leader, who now we see is called Lucky. Sorry, they did give his name. Has gas bombs that they throw at Doctor Fate because they know that his only weakness is breathing. They miss. Dr. Fate subdues the two with kind of a funny, um, very, to me, characteristic Captain Marvel kind of of image. It, It very much strikes me as what I would see in a Captain Marvel comic. Dr. Fate standing foreground, right side, having launched a left handed uppercut, striking one guy so hard that he crashes into the other. Both of them are lifted off their feet, the first guy's head striking the second right below the chin, kind of stacked up. I don't know why, but it it just very much puts me in mind of a of a Captain Marvel scene. I guess I must have seen that at some point in the past. In doing that, though, Lucky apparently had other gas bombs on his person because when he collapsed, they went off, ultimately knocking Dr. Fate out. Well, the two fates are over and uh, off to the side. They did not get embroiled in the hand-to-hand. They come out, take Inza. They still have Inza captive now. They take Dr. Fate captive, round everybody up, and go back to the hideout on Long Island. So the gypsy caravan did park outside of New York City somewhere. Still kind of odd. Uh, The fates, uh, the two fates, have set up an elaborate... Uh, trap an elaborate way of restraining Dr. Fate. He and Enza are sitting facing each other. Enza is, is, is strapped into a chair, kind of looking like an electric chair with this doodad on her head affixed by wires to this thing that is held suspended over her. Uh, we'll call it like a transformer. Two wires go from twin leads on the transformer, each wire going to a spotlight whose light is turned and focused on Dr. Fate. Each lamp is emitting a different color light. So you can see two distinct colors. The trap, the restraint is that those two lights being beamed at Dr. Fate are being held <clears throat> excuse me, are being held separate because they are um, on Dr. Fate's body. If he were to move and the two beams were, would cross, uh, much like in the original Ghostbusters movie, crossing of the beams will cause electricity to blow back through the wires into the transformer down through Inza's head electrocuting her. So, Dr. Fate is not restrained other than by the fact that these two lights are shining on him, on either side, is how they're set up. 
So he sits there and thinks and thinks and thinks. Inza says, go ahead and, and do what you need to do. I'm not worth it. Uh, he says, no, no. Everyone is worth it. So he thinks and thinks and thinks. And finally he comes up with a plan. He stands up on his chair. The narrator tells us, Dr. Fate starts to swirl. And the magnetic power in his fingertips draws the electric eye beams. And visually the image we see is Dr. Fate, arms extended over his head to either side. Motion um, lines, like he's twirling. And the light beams are swirling like... I don't know, twisted like twisted candy in a, in a circle uh, down his arms, almost like magnetically he is wrapping the light around his arms, keeping the light beams separate. So now that he is doing this, he starts moving towards Inza until he is in such a position that with his arms extended already, he's able to reach up and grab the wires connected to the transformer over her head and rips them out, thus freeing Inza. Rather elaborate. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight panels. This whole page. Uh, rather elaborate kind of setup here. I'm, I'm sure my description really didn't do it justice. Uh, if you get a chance, like I said, this is uh, issue 83 of More Fun Comics, the Dr. Fate story, which is the second story in the, in the issue. Give it a look. All right. Uh, later, the two Fates and Lucky come back. They see that Dr. Fate is gone, uh, as well as Enza, and they decide, oh, man, we need to go ahead and, and scram, go into hiding with what we have now. Dr. Fate's going to find us. This is it. So as as they're doing that, Lucky says, no, no, no. We, we've already got this last one figured out. Let's go ahead and, and do this last caper, and then we'll go our separate ways like you said. And the two Fates are like, well, okay, I don't think this is such a good idea, but we're so close to you know, having all this money. We'll, we'll go ahead. Back at his tower, Dr. Fate is, is scrying via his crystal. He sees the plan. We don't see it. He doesn't tell us. Next, we see Dr. Fate going to the director of Trans-Pacific Airlines. And the director tells him, very well, I'll do it. Most irregular. But you are Dr. Fate, and I trust you. Next, we see a large plane flying, uh, being, let's see, Transported to America for safekeeping our fabulously valuable jewels from India. So that's what's in the big plane. Uh, above the big plane, a smaller plane comes in. Air pirates, as you were. Dropping down out of the smaller plane onto the bigger plane. Gaining access to the interior of the bigger plane. Uh, the two fates and lucky. They tell the captain to fly to this location. You know, where we want you to fly. Dr. Fate drops in, starts subduing everyone. We find out that this plane is a ruse. The real plane with the jewels is flying a completely different route, so it's safe. They just have to apprehend the ne'er-do-wells. Melee ensues, uh, pistols, hand-to-hand. In the ensuing fisticuffs, though, one of the bullets bounces off of Fate, Creases the skull of the pilot, knocks him out. So Dr. Fate has to attend to saving the pilot's life and some officials that are on that flight to officially arrest the bad guys. So there's three or four policemen, Fate, and the pilot. So Fate has to save them. 
rushes up to the cockpit trying to do something with the airplane. Meanwhile, Lucky and the two Fates parachute out, so they get away. Um, Fate doesn't know, um, Kent doesn't know how to fly a plane. But what he does, once again the narrator, then pressing his arms against the arms of the unconscious man, his hands against his hands, Dr. Fate generates every atom of electrical force at his command, and he says, uh, Dr. Fate says, ship's nose diving, Jim, easy now, pull the stick back. And then the narrator continues in the next panel and tells us, yes, Dr. Fate has applied the theory of electrotherapy. The electrical forces can wake the muscles of a stunned man and make his subconscious mind react to an emergency. But will it work? Uh, So somehow, um, by applying electrical energy, the man's muscle memory activates in how to fly a plane. Now, I'm not sure the act of flying a plane would apply to muscle memory. But okay. Athletically, I'm aware that there is a muscle memory. So perhaps the act of pulling back the joystick on a plane uh, the the stick on a plane sorry not joystick um uh, yoke there's what i was looking for i don't know if it works that way but according in dr fate's world it does so that's how he says everybody the plane lands fate runs out literally flying through the air with his running motion we, we can see that in this next panel and relocates the fates uh, we don't know about lucky Maybe Lucky stayed on the plane and was subdued. I don't know. But he goes up to the two fates, finds them at a weaving factory, of all places. They, the Lester Carpet Company, which they run into not knowing this was not their destination at the onset, but rather a convenient location where they landed. They go inside. Fate catches up with them, knocks them both out, throws them into a loom, Using a a big flywheel on the loom, he ties them up like you would wrap somebody up in a rug. And then as he um, is standing here and they're bundled up at his feet, he says, Well, it really seems that the two fates are sealed, eh? And so that is our Dr. Fate comic from Morphin Comics 83. Next time up will be Issue 84 of More Fun Comics. And then after that, I believe, will be another, uh, potentially the last, All-Star Squadron catch-up. Now, um, All-Star Comics 13 has come out chronologically at this point, but Dr. Fate was not in that book. Having asked one of the members, and I forget who it was that passed the message, to relayed that he was uh, taken in a mission of his own doing and was not going to be able to attend this uh, monthly, I believe, meeting of the Justice Society in All-Star Comics. And so he is not in All-Star Comics 13. Next, we will see him in issue 14 of All-Star Comics, but that's a couple episodes away. Now, just to give you a heads up in case you thought that 13 should have popped up, It has come and gone. No Dr. Fate. All right, guys. Thanks a lot for hanging around. I uh, hope to continue in the new year with a uh, new Lords of Order every other week. There will be some other 
comic books uh, uh, podcasts, excuse me, coming out from Teal Productions. One, uh, hopefully starting up in the month of January, starring one of my favorite blue characters. Um, that's all the hint I'm going to give. I dropped a hint on Teal Productions' Facebook page about a month or so ago. Hopefully that's a go. Otherwise, a couple weeks, more fun comics, issue 84, Dr. Fate. Catch you guys then. Lords of Order is a Teal production, and as such is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, non-derivative, 3.0, unported license.